Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hey, Vanessa. Hello. What was it? Frank? I know. Do you remember me? It's been a I, while. I'm so sorry. I know I know you from somewhere. <laughs> it's Henry. Henry the Hippo, and this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Henry, (laughs) before we really dive into book seven with chapter one of book seven, we thought that we should take a step back and look at book seven from the front and say, my, you look beautiful. And in fact, these are some of the things that we're most excited about with you. Yes. But Casper, before we do that, we have a couple of announcements, which really is just that in case anybody missed it from our four minute trailer that ran for a month, (laughs) Casper's book is out. It's called The Power of Ritual. I am its number one fan. I'm its number one peddler. I am president of the Casper Turk Kyle fan club. Unfortunately, we couldn't have Casper on the podcast today, but Henry is here and will answer any questions that we have in his stead. Yeah, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's pre-ordered the book and to say that, especially now, if you want to support a local bookstore by ordering the book from your local bookstore. I did from Harvard Bookstore. It's such a nice thing to do because I I know folks locally are often still delivering, but it's a great way to support local businesses. And I'll be very grateful. Pre-orders are a huge way that the media and other kind of important publishing voices look at whether a book is worth investing in. And so I'm, I'm really grateful if you can support it in that way. And if you can support us by coming to see us on tour, we have tickets already on sale for San Francisco, Seattle, LA, Salt Lake City, Dallas, Austin, Houston, Raleigh, Durham, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Chicago, and Indianapolis. So if you live in any of those cities, go to harrypottersacredtext.com and come and see us live. And even if we still have to all stay home, we'll do individual specific events for each of those cities from our very special homes. 
Vanessa, we have come to the end of the, is it line? I actually don't know the word. Road. The end of the road. <laughs> end of the Harry Potter road. We're starting book seven. It's my favorite book. Really? By far. Really? Yeah. I mean, I know you love the walking into the wood scene, but like as a whole book, this is your fave? Yeah, by far. It's the best one. We are so different. I know. It's my least favorite. Well, what's beautiful is that we love each other. <laughs> and that's what will sustain everything. Well, I want to ask you about it. Like, what are you excited about in book seven? Like, what makes you love this book? I mean, I love so many things. There's so many really intense, gut-wrenching moments that, like, yeah. when you read them, you're like, oh, my God. And you, like, can't believe you're watching it unfold before you. The yeah. first big moment to me is Ron, Hermione, and Harry's big fight when Ron yeah. storms off. I think that fighting with friends sort of gets a bad rap. You often will hear people being like, I don't like drama. And it's like, well, having conflict with someone and misunderstandings with someone is not drama. It's being human. Also, it's unavoidable. Yeah. It's <laughs> unavoidable. And like these three kids are put in an impossible situation and I just think that this fight is just bound to happen. And I think one of the things that I love about the fight is that I see all three of their points of view. Yeah. It's very fair to all three of them. Like yeah. it, it's not painting anyone in an, in an impossible light. And they're all in some way at fault, which feels like a very fair representation of how true friendship fights really do happen. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking. And then... To me, it's the moment where Ron entirely redeems himself hmm. by coming back. I think that leaving is fair. Like sometimes you have to walk away. Yeah. But coming back to me is just an act of humility and bravery and is really beautiful and graceful. And particularly because he comes back into a situation that has not changed. Yeah. Right? It's not like suddenly things are looking up or like they found something. It's like, no, he's re-entering the same world that he left, but he's coming back because he loves them. So he's he's acknowledging that he made a mistake. And, and I love that for Harry, you know, within minutes of Ron's return, it's like nothing changed, right? Like there is something really beautiful about that friendship that's illustrated in, in that moment of return. Absolutely. That's so true. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading it this time because I think that this has been the reading that I've been the hardest on Ron. Mm. I think because of the Me Too era, I yeah. have seen a lot of Ron's typical sort of bro-y dude behavior is even more problematic. Yeah. And I just still really have faith that this moment is going to entirely redeem him. And so I'm excited for that catharsis. And I, I mean, I'm curious, like maybe it won't happen. Maybe I'll be like, do you know what? No. He still sucks. But now I think, I really think he comes back with real grace. So I'm excited for that to happen. What about you? How are you getting yourself excited even though you don't really love this book? Well, maybe one of my favorite scenes in the whole book is the King's Cross conversation between Harry and Dumbledore. I mean, there's so much wisdom in that scene. And I am really curious to think theologically about that scene and to ask myself, like, what does this have to say about the soul because we see this crumpled like demon baby body that's like Voldemort's remains maybe like underneath the bench the way I've read it before is that like this part of Voldemort is unsavable or like there's nothing redeeming there's nothing good about this part of him so I want to think about like are there some things that are just so despicable they are 
unforgivable, right? Like they cannot be forgiven, even if you want to. So you want to do some like really specific symbolism work. Yeah, I think so. And the reason why it feels important to me now is like the experience that we have had as a world in the last few weeks, the last few you know months now nearly, of experiencing this, this collective COVID-19 moment and the ineptitude and selfishness and just... Corruption. Yes. Like the way in which it has killed people. In this moment, I'm so angry about it. So I, I guess I want to look at that moment and put my anger and like stone cold heart <laughs> in conversation with it and be like... When is forgiveness impossible and when is it possible? I I think that's the bit I'm really looking forward to. But I'm also obviously massively excited about Snape's redemption because we've just finished book six and Snape has done this, you know, ultimate unforgivable act, killing Dumbledore. And we're going to see Harry's complete reframing of who this man is and what he meant and has meant over these last seven years of his life because of the memories that he's going to see in the Pensieve right right at the end of the book. So for me, the the best moments, I think, are are towards the end of the book. And I think I I struggle because there's a whole time when there's no Horcrux hunting being successful, right? Like a lot of that middle part of this book the first third is is really stuck. Like you embrace that bleakness and I'm like, no, give me roses and sunshine and musicals. So I love it. I love that this book confronts that. They don't make it impossibly hard. It's yeah. not like a painstaking documentary about insomnia that you're supposed to stay up for 80 hours and watch. <laughs> but it is as much as it can be a testimony yeah. to what it's like to really not know what the next step is. And I love that Hermione is sitting there for so much of the book and is like, we shouldn't go to Godric's Hollow. We shouldn't go to Godric's Hollow. It's going to be a trap. And then one day she's like, do you know what? I think we should go to Godric's Hollow. And it is only because she has no other idea. I find it so comforting (laughs) to know that the brightest witch of her age sometimes makes huge mistakes just because she can't take inaction anymore. I find such company in that, in the fact that she is built up as this brilliant, discerning person. And she comes to a point where she's like, I think this is a trap, but I can't think of anything else to do. And what I definitely can't do is sit here a moment longer doing nothing. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you've convinced me. Can I tell you my favorite part of the whole series, though? Yes. I am so excited to closely read Narcissa Saving Harry. It has like loomed so large in my imagination. And I have spent so much time defending Narcissa that I love that she has this line in the sand and is like, you will not hurt my child. Yeah. And I just want to read that scene so slowly. Mm. And like, I'm curious as to what we don't see because like Harry can't see who's been picked. So like, does she step forward a little bit? And that's why Voldemort picks her. I want us to do a sacred imagination (gasps) with that moment. Yes. Like it's not about Harry, right? We consider her a hero, but it is entirely about being able to storm the castle and get Draco. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that idea of doing a sacred reading with that because then, and not just to look what's in the text, but what's underneath the text. Like, what can we mm-hmm. imagine that might be happening that would make more sense of this moment, as you say, because it is such an about turn. Oh, 
okay, I'm kind of liking this book again. <laughs> Do you have a final thing that you're looking forward to? I'm also really looking forward to re-engaging with Creature and with Dobby. Both of them become such central figures in this book. And we we learn so much about R.A.B. from Creature. And uh, he ultimately leads us to the locket. And th- there's something, I don't want to say this complete redemption for Creature necessarily, but certainly we meet him in a different way. So Creature is one. And then Dobby, of course, who helps, you know, manufacture the escape from Malfoy Manor and ultimately is a sacrificial death and has this gorgeous goodbye with Harry in in a way that you could never have imagined when he shows up in book two, right? Like that there's this deep friendship that's built over that time. And it's, I don't know, I think for me, one of the most emotionally impactful goodbyes that we have to say during this book, and we will say a lot of goodbyes, but I don't, I don't know what it's about Dobby, but like Dobby is like pure heart. I love that. And so I just, I like being around Dobby. I also find that scene so moving and I just couldn't get myself to write down something I'm looking forward to, Dobby's death. (laughs) But I fall for all of the Dobby blows every time where I find him so annoying and then like pitiful and then, oh, wait, no, he's actually strong and awesome and this like warrior organizer. And then at the end, he's just like an out and out hero. Absolutely. And so to have gone on that journey with him again and to watch him die will be hard and... Yeah. Beautiful. And it's such a good reminder of, you know, we're going to see many different magical species in the war throughout this book. And it just is a good reminder of like the different magical powers that house elves have. And I think it'll be an invitation to think about who are and where are allies and and tools to use in fight for goodness in our world too. Casper, something I'm excited to talk about, it just, we really hear it over a couple of chapters, but We engage with a lot of goblin-made objects Hmm. in this book. The sort of Gryffindor, the tiara that Fleur wears at her wedding, lent to her by Aunt Muriel. Right. And we get to suddenly see this real contentious relationship that goblins and wizards have Mm. with who these objects should belong to. Hmm. And we get a point of view of a relatively progressive family, the Weasleys, and then Griphook, who Griphook is saying, you know, goblins made these objects. And then Bill is like, you made it with our money and we bought it from you. It's now ours. And it's such an interesting complication of what ownership means. Absolutely. Yeah, because one is about like, did you invest the capital for the means of production? Or is it a makership model where if your hands physically created it, then ultimately the ownership belongs to you. It doesn't matter over time, you know, if you lend it out or not. Right. And so similar to House Elves, it's just like a political allegory that's in the middle of these texts that I'm like, this does not totally work as a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, more broadly, I just think the material culture in this book is so interesting, right? I mean, we're literally hunting for physical objects that hold, you know, Voldemort's soul. So we're looking everywhere in the text, we're looking at objects differently because every object could be a Horcrux. And of course, the last place we look, you know, is Harry's body himself. So how does that change our understanding of Harry's body, the connection he's had to Voldemort throughout these years? Like, that's a really cool thing, actually. Like, I want to pay attention to the everyday objects and the way in which the characters engage them because of what they might mean, especially the trio, obviously. Well, and, you know, all of these objects fit into Hermione's clutch, 
So objects don't even have real property to them. Like there are some very interesting things happening with the material world. Huh. Oh, that's going to be fun. Okay, cool. One of the things I'm really curious about is we've seen the kind of the rise of Voldemort from the end of book four, right? Through book five, when Harry's the only voice and no one believes him, into book six, when we're seeing the ineptitude of the ministry. And now we're in like, not only war, but really a reign of terror, both obviously within Hogwarts, but much more importantly, I think outside of that world. And the thing that strikes me that I want to think about is how that terror plays out at the very, very individual scale of like a family or an individual. Because we see people make choices which seem extreme in either end, right? I mean, you have Neville who steps forward when all hope is lost to say like, no, this fight is not just about Harry. This is about all of us. And I am going to step forward and kills Nagini in this amazing moment. But on the other hand, we see Xenophilius Lovegood, who wants to desperately protect Luna and betrays Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And I really want to say that without judgment. Yeah. Because to me, the way Terra impacts us, like nothing is right about that. He's not making the wrong decision. He's been put in the wrong position. Exactly. Exactly. So I do want to look at like what makes us choose the things we do under a reign of terror? Like, are there any patterns we can spot? Is it is it about the situation that you're in, right? Like Neville doesn't have a daughter who's imprisoned. Would he have done differently? Who knows? But that seems to me an important question to think about throughout this book. And the ways that people resist mm. are so brilliantly entirely themselves yeah. in this text, yeah. right? Like Neville keeps up the DA and Lee does radio announcing. That's right. And Fleur like stays home and takes care of Bill, who's a warrior out there. They are all important parts of the resistance. And being part of the resistance, I feel like we're all talking about this right now, right? Like the best thing you can do is stay home, even when it's hard to feel like you're not doing more. But like by being yourself in the right way, you are doing enough. Oh, and I see people doing that. You know, if someone's an organizer, they're organizing to make sure that everyone in their neighborhood has access to food. You know, if they're a musician, maybe they're creating music to share with people, right? If they're a good listener, they're making sure that their cousin who's a doctor has someone to talk to at the end of the shift when they're just exhausted and need to process. Like all of us have a way in which we're contributing and and can help. You know what really strikes me, Vanessa, is... (laughs) When we started this project, we talked about a little town in France, <laughs> Le Chambord sur Lignon. And we were always interested in like what made these people open their doors under a reign of terror. And so I'm just suddenly like, oh, wow, hello, parallel. That question's coming back to us in the narrative, not with the Dursleys, but with Voldemort. Yeah, that question still feels so fresh to me. And that historical oh, example yeah. is so important. It's just wild to me. What a different world we started this podcast in. Yeah. We started this podcast and Barack Obama was president. (laughs) And like the things that we have watched the world go through in terms of these books and in conversation with these books have been, I mean, like really catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm just more impressed with the books than ever because I feel like the books are good enough and strong enough to hold that. Yeah. Right. It has never felt like excuse me, we're going through a sexual harassment awakening. We're going through the devastating hurricane in Puerto Rico. We're going through a complete corruption of our government. We're going through a devastating pandemic. Why are we talking about these silly books? Right. Instead, it has felt like 
Oh, wow. That's in this book too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that we're in conversation with these books yeah. that the books hold that yeah. has just been to me, a real sign of how good they are. Mm, absolutely. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Vanessa, what do you want to not lose sight of? You know, obviously, once we're in the book, it's easy to get kind of caught up in the narrative and the story. But like, what do you want to hold on to as we make our way through these pages? I think one of the things that I really want to keep track of is I always lose track of what Hagrid is up to in this book. And he, at the end of book six, has stepped up into a leadership role at Hogwarts, which is obviously taken away from him. And now in book seven, I feel like I can't even really tell you where Hagrid is or what he's up to. And if he's this talisman of the goodness of the magical world... I want to make sure that I know where the heart of the magical world is, the the good beating heart is. Mm. I want to make sure that I don't lose track of that. Oh, that's beautiful. What about you, Casper? What do you want to make sure you don't lose sight of? Ironically, it's not far away from Hagrid, but like Hogwarts itself, we leave Hogwarts, right? Like we, we don't come back there until the very end. And we only see the product of what's happened after all of this time, especially with Neville. So I I kind of similarly, I want to have in my mind, like, what's happening there? Like, what kind of classes are going on? Like, what does life look like? How is Neville organizing the DA with Luna and everyone else? I want to hold on to Hogwarts as as an institution, as a physical place, and the people inside it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the big difference between this and all the other books, Right. right? Right. Is this is the only book that, like, does not take place at Hogwarts. And I think that 
we are going to see Hogwarts become what we're seeing a lot of hotels become right now and other public spaces. Hogwarts is not functioning as a school when we see it. It is functioning first as a, a place to collect and terrorize children, and then it is functioning as a war zone, and then it is functioning as a hospital. We do not wow. see it function as a school at all in this book. And it feels like that difference is reflected in so many interesting ways, right? Like this book seven compared to what we've seen before. You know, I love that idea that book five is really this trauma book, right? Like PTSD book. Then this book six is the narrative of healing and integration. We're learning more about Voldemort's backstory. We're learning more about Snape as well. And then book seven, I think, is kind of a book of apocalypse. And I mean that not in the sense of like comets raining from the sky and dinosaurs dying, but I mean in the sense of like, an uncovering or a revealing, which is really what the Greek version of that word means. It's it's revealing something that was true, but we didn't look at before, we didn't see. And I feel like that's certainly true about Dumbledore, right? We're learning a lot about Dumbledore and Grindelwald and, and Aberforth. We're learning about Snape, of course, as we talked about, but also the ultimate reveal, right? Harry is a Horcrux. And so it's suddenly making sense of so much of what's happened. And so I, I really like this revelatory, apocalyptic vision of book seven, that it tells us what has been true all the time, but we didn't see. And, and I think that's an invitation for all of us to look around our own world in the same way, you know. I love the idea of the apocalypse. I was also thinking that it's a book of reckoning. Yes. Right? There's a story about my dad's cousin, hmm. my aunt. Ani, who was born during the war while her parents were in hiding. And so she was born in a dugout and only came out from like sort of underground in 1945. And her eyes hadn't developed properly because she'd never seen light. Wow. That to me is what a reckoning is, right? Is that you come out and you have to teach your eyes how to see in this post-collapse world. Wow. And that's what this book is about is, okay, we live in this other world now. And like, how are we going to see? And we see characters see things differently. I mean, that's what's mm -hmm. so interesting about Narcissa, as you said before, like she sees something differently because of this moment. Hmm. So the other thing that I am really looking forward to talking about, Casper, is the final chapter of the book. <laughs> Emily, who is a member of our very first class, she wouldn't talk about it as if it was part of the book. Right. She was like, there are 198 chapters, and then there's that epilogue. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. I've always liked it. I've always felt like it was the cherry on a Sunday mm. and like... All was well. All was well, right? And I think the thing I always liked about it was that we know that it's not true, that yeah. that's just a lie. And I like that. Like, all isn't well. But I'm really excited to see how it lands with me after spending four and a half years reading these books <laughs> and being on the road doing, you know, a hundred events, having talked to thousands of people about these books now. Right, and received all these voicemails and emails. Like we've learned so much from one another and from the whole listening community as, as we've made our way through. And I also just want to say that I will be reading this book seven. I'm going to be reading an edition that was given to me by the Pilgrims with the First Harry Potter Pilgrimage. Oh, that's so lovely. And they all underlined their favorite lines in the book for me. <sighs> right, like... This community has literally changed the way that we read. Oh, that's beautiful.
So speaking of our community and all the changes in book seven, we know that a lot of you are probably anxious about what is going to happen after book seven. So just to remind you, book seven is long. And so it in and of itself will take us through the end of February. So from now until the end of February, it's going to be me and Casper going through chapter seven, chapter by chapter with owl posts and special guests, same as usual. And then starting in March of next year, we are going to do exactly what religions do with texts, which is not moving on to the Apocrypha or to things outside of the canon, but it is to start the books from the very beginning. So early March 2021, we will start with book one, chapter one of Harry Potter. However, we are going to have one pretty big sad change. And I'm going to make you share the bad news because you're the bad guy. Yes, I know. I will be leaving the podcast at the very end of book seven and handing over to a fabulous new and improved co-host, our very dear friend, Matt Potts, who has been a guest on the show many times and was my teacher, was Vanessa's teacher, and is just someone who I respect immensely. And I know will be bringing new perspectives and insights into the readings of these books and bringing us much joy along the way. So Casper, I think that we will probably spend time toward the end of book seven celebrating you and saying goodbye. There's no reason to dwell on that right now because (laughs) we're not saying goodbye for another 10 months. So (laughs) it would be putting the cart before the horse. So what I do want to do though is start to get people Really excited about Matt, yeah. who isn't just a really good family friend of mine who I know I will enjoy spending time in the studio with, but is a theologian studying mm. forgiveness and is a professor at Harvard Divinity School and an incredible, incredible priest and preacher. He's a parent, a full-time parent, which is going to be a different perspective on this podcast. He comes from a Christian and a Buddhist background, which is going to be very different than what you or I have brought. And so I'm excited for all of the gifts that he's going to bring. And I am in denial about grieving all the things you will take with you. (laughs) I mean, I can't wait to listen. Like, I'll still tune in to like lectures of Matt's that are online. I love listening to his voice. He's so smart about things in these books, even like every time we've had him on the show, I leave with new ideas, new perspectives. So Matt is a wonderful, wonderful co-pilot for the second time around in these books. And, you know, I know I'll be back once in a while. I'll be a little guest here and there, so I'm not going too far. But we wanted you to all know that Harry Potter and the Sacred Text will continue. We've got many more years ahead. And so I hope very, very much that you'll continue traveling with us through these books time and time again. So we thought just as a little taster, we invited Matt onto the show to tell us about what he's excited for as he steps into my very shiny and amazing shoes. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So Matt, we're so excited that you are going to be joining us and leading us through books one to seven with Vanessa, our second time round through these incredible books. And I'm just so curious, like, why did you say yes? <laughs> Ready to dedicate your life to reading Harry Potter as a sacred text. <laughs> why did I say yes? Oh, boy. I think I did it because I, I mean, I've just visited as a guest on the podcast a few times and the conversations are always incredibly, uh, they were just really rich conversations. I feel like these are not conversations that I have even though I'm a teacher of religion and a scholar, like these sorts of conversations are not ones I get to have a lot. And so I really enjoy the conversation and I really admire the community that has grown around these conversations and sees the gift of these conversations as well. And so it's, it's, it's actually a great opportunity and honor to be invited to, to become a more deliberate and consistent and uh, committed part of that continuing conversation. One of the things I think, Matt, that'll be interesting is, you know, Vanessa's always been very clear about that she's an atheist and that she's also Jewish. Like those two things are really central. But you're a minister, you're you're an Episcopalian priest, so you're a Christian. You know, I think conversations across difference or, or, or informed by different religious backgrounds are always really juicy. Like it just brings more and more reference points. How do you think that will change how you how you engage the text and maybe what you see in it? Yeah, religious identity is a really complicated thing. I mean, you and I have had these conversations, Casper, about you know what your religious identity is, and and Vanessa and I have as well about what atheism means. And I mean, in a lot of ways, although I am ordained in a Christian tradition, the way I approach the world and the meaning of things is a lot closer to the perspective of my atheist friends than most people who call themselves Christian. And so I, you know, I, I have my ambivalence about my own relationship to the Christian tradition, even though I'm 
clearly and obviously a part of it. And also just because my family is Japanese, my mom was born and raised in Japan. And so just naturally a lot of Buddhist sort of influence and, and kind of cultural framing enters my thinking. So as a Christian, I mean, I think I bring a perspective, but that perspective is complicated, just like your perspective is complicated and Vanessa's perspective is complicated. What I'm really excited about is how this can open up new reading practices for people who might self-identify as religious. Matt, how does it feel knowing that this whole podcast was your idea? (laughs) So just to remind everybody, Casper and I had this class treating Harry Potter as a sacred text, and we were starting to get emails from all over the world being like, oh, I wish I could join your class. And we were like, I don't know what to do about that. (laughs) And our friend Matt Mm -hmm. famously is now part of our story where he was like, well, why don't you guys make a podcast? And here we are. You've been like instrumental in this being a thing. Does it like feel vindicating now that you're here? How how does this feel? I mean, I feel like I was vindicated when you had your success with the podcast, right? I felt like that was affirmation that it wasn't a good idea. I mean, I to me, it was so obvious. Even though I do like to take some credit for the idea, it seems like cheap credit to take because it was so obvious to me that the two of you should be talking to each other about this. It just felt like a natural thing. I mean, one of the reasons it felt so natural to me is because even though obviously I've only been in front of this microphone a handful of times during the course of this podcast's run, it's felt like a conversation that we've been having. Thinking about text these ways, thinking about spiritual life and religious life these ways, this seems like something that's just been part of our friendship with one another for, lo, these four and a half years. And, and, um, and so there's something that feels just very natural about it. Um, I mean, obviously, our conversations would be different if I'm in front of a microphone here. And But there's it, it doesn't feel like something new. It just feels like a new form of a thing we've been doing for a while. I mean, I think of one of the places that the podcast had got formed was on your kitchen floor with a one-and-a-half-year-old running around in a diaper and you, Casper, and I sitting on the floor and talking about what this could be. And that is absolutely one of the formational sort of places in my head. So... It feels right to me to finally have you here in front of the mic. Really, Matt, I I just want you to know that I am like, I'm so happy that you're doing this, that I'm going to be listening, that I love the two of you. And I'm just so, I'm so grateful that this project gets to continue in the hands of someone I trust so much and admire so much. So thank you for saying yes. Well, I'm, I'm really happy and grateful, but most of all, just for this podcast. Also for the, the fact that I'm going to be involved in a more deeper way going forward sometime soon. But just because this thing exists, because it's meant so much to you, but also because it's meant so much to so many people, I'm really grateful and happy. So thank you. Uh, I love Matthew so much. He's going to be a great co-host. I know his real middle name, but I like to give him fake <gasps> middle names. Reginald? Yeah. <laughs> Matthew Jacob Potts. Matthew Percy Potts. Ugh, Matthew Percy. (laughs) What a gem. Well, friends, you've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we will read chapter one of book seven, The Dark Lord Ascending, through the theme of suspicion, 
You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and join our Facebook group to chat with other listeners about the episode. Or come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You only have a couple of weeks left to join our Patreon in a way that will have us say your name at the end of the credits in book seven while Henry is still on the podcast. (laughs) You can always send us a voicemail or leave us a review on iTunes. And please order my book, The Power of Ritual, on sale now. We hope very much to see you at one of our live shows this summer. And you can also register now for our online Harry Potter sacred text classes or the Jane Eyre pilgrimage, which only has 12 places and is really going to be a very, very special event. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is the fabulous Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is the wonderful Ariana Martinez. And Ivan Paisal and Nick Ball created our music, and we are part of ACAST. Thanks, as ever, to the Dream Team, Julia Argy, Nikki Zeltan, Maggie Nida, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Purcell. And finally, a very, very special thank you to our dear intern, Hannah Goldbach, who's just completed her internship with us at Not Sorry Productions. She's been at the very heart of everything we do and has just been amazing, and we love her very, very much. So thank you, Hannah, and good luck. See you all next week. Hi, Henry. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a fun name? Yes. Henry. Hello, Henry. What, what would be your kind of Jane Austen name? Eliza. Henry and Eliza together at last. But that's just because it's Henry Higgins and Eliza Doolittle, I think, on a subconscious level. Classic.